0: Tickets go on sale this Friday, the 26th of April at 10 a.m., but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday, the 24th of April at 10 a.m. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward
1: slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
0: And welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is a psychotherapist. She's a Sunday Times bestselling author of Mind Over Mother, founder of the Mother Mind Way and podcaster of the Therapy Edit. She's also, as well as all of that, a mum to three children. It's Anna Martha. Hello. Hello.
3: Hi. We're both wearing um, kind of tie-dye Jumpers. It's that kind of day. The
0: sun is shining. So I I felt like that would really bring out a bit of happiness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think we we need it wherever we can get it in the little things and the big things.
0: I always find like that what I wear really, it either tells me what mood I'm in, what I'm drawn to. So if I'm going to the black, I'm like, oh, it's not a great day. Or, you know, or if I sometimes, if I'm going to the colour, it's because I want that little bit of colour. I want that Mm. bit of reassurance and that bit of sunshine yeah
3: i th- I actually think when I look back at some of the challenging times of my life, I stopped wearing earrings, like I normally oh. wear massive, just kind of jewelry, yeah, and I think it's just one of those things that just slipped away, it's and you either then think, no, I'm going to wear the bright things or I'm going to wear the jewelry or the lipstick or whatever it is, and then and then kind of the feeling will hopefully kind of be lifted a little bit, yeah, or you I know just that. yeah,
0: it was really interesting. I have a friend who I know that she's not in a good place if she's reapplying her lipstick a lot. Ah. It's like that, yeah, it's that little bit of armour, isn't
3: it? We start noticing those things about ourselves, don't we? Yeah. In time and our friends.
0: Anna, how long have you been a psychotherapist? Oh, gosh. Um,
3: So I think... I always say 10 years, but I think I've been saying that for a few years now. I started <laughs> training as soon as we got married in 2009. I started my kind of wow. extra master's training.
0: So. Yeah. I feel like on today's podcast, I need to be really careful not to feel like I'm in a therapy session and not to just offload onto you because I, I love it though it's important we need these times I know but honestly I have to say that your your Instagram and and your podcast and everything it feels like um that we always talk about those little hands in the dark but the way that you write the way that you share and you use your your training and everything your your work in a really personal way as well so you really and I think that's very rare actually for someone in your position to kind of go this is what I know Work-wise, but this is how I feel, you know, and this is what's happening to me. And I and so I regularly get lost just scrolling with you, to be honest, (laughs) and then going, yes, that's me, yes, that's me, and it's really nice knowing that you're not on your own in that way,
3: having it there in black and white. And I think the immense privilege that I have as a therapist is that I know I know that I'm not alone. Yeah, as someone who has been privy to to the background the bits under the rug, the bits kind of shoved in cupboards, you know, the emotional mess, the the chaos behind the closed doors. I've been privy to that with fellow mums for so many years now. Yeah. I can talk about rage. I can talk about guilt. I can talk about, you know, those moments where I want to throw the past at the wall or, or run out the door. And I know with certainty that I am not alone Yeah. because I've heard, I know other people's, so I know the stories. Yeah. So it takes the shame away doesn't it when you know you're not alone you can put yourself out there a little bit more and I guess I just hope that in doing so it is just really affirming for people and it just gets rid of some of that shame yeah like you know if people really knew that I felt this rageful sometimes rage has been a massive one for me this last couple of years I've never been so angry in my whole life really like just this I, I, really, I learned a lot about rage. I learned a lot about myself. I think as a mum, you know, as mums, we like to think of ourselves as like this archetypal, like caring, nurturing, mm. maternal, patient. Well, as and you reality, always say, it's the
0: mum that you think you were gonna, yeah. you're going to be before you actually have kids. It's the mum that you want to be. Yeah. yeah. But actually, the
3: last couple of years, we've been living in a pressure cooker where so many of us have felt rage like never before. And, you know, rage is a bit ugly. Like we don't like to think ourselves as angry or, you know, it's a very energizing emotion, isn't it? Mm. And gosh, there have been times where I've had fantasies about throwing dinner at the wall, you know, on a Wednesday (laughs) afternoon after homeschooling or, you know, just breaking something or just running out the house and just screaming. And um, I've learned a lot about myself and about how rage and this you know that feeling is so often just a mixture of like unmet needs and unexpressed feelings yeah where we've had to put ourselves at the bottom of the pile we've had to nudge our needs aside so that we can keep calm and carry on Mm. and that's not sustainable and I think all those little things that used to be the little releases on the pressure cooker for me you know even just that little walk you know that moment where you walk from the passenger door to the door where you get in the car, and it's just there's chaos inside, and it's quiet, and you just take a breather. And there's a part of you that's like, I don't want to get in there. i said that in the car park at school. Like, I don't want to get in there right now. And it, and just you know those the supermarket, all those you know the the car trip home from the nursery drop off, yeah. The, the rants with friends, you know, standing against the the microwave at their house whilst the kids, you know, make a tip of the place. You know, I don't think we realised how important those little moments yeah. were until they were all taken away and less opportunity to meet our needs. So that's what I think, that's what I identify like rage as for I, me. That was, is that, that kind of like pr- that compression, an yeah. energy it needs to come out. Well,
0: I've been doing a play recently and in it, because our husband just completely dismisses her, she thinks there's a ghost in the house, he dismisses her the whole way through. This rage is within her and this fear. And at one point she throws a fruit bowl. And she shouts and she really goes. And even in rehearsals, (laughs) I said this before, before I saw that you compare the two, I was like, I literally feel like I'm getting it all out here and then I can go home and be Mary Poppins. You know, I feel like I'm just getting it out. And there's a mixture of that, actually, because also at the same time, I'm able at that point to go to work and I'm able to be me or to be Jenny, that character and kind of express myself in a very different way, have very different asks of me, I guess, before going home and resuming that mum role. Um, yeah. I think it's so good to know that you're not the only one who would love to pick up a bowl of pasta oh. and just throw it, you know? And people have done it. You know, people do it. We do these
3: things. And, and I, I always think that the difference between that Mary Poppins that I want to be when the kids are going mad and I can just contain them and be, you know, gentle and patient and considerate and respond rather than react so the difference between that and then I call my it's the Hulk mm-hmm. the Hulk you know this just bursting out and the shouting and the well you just stop and the want it and the eyeing up the door yeah. or the frantically pacing you know it's rest it's quiet it's meeting our needs it's expressing our feelings that's what widens the gap between Mary Poppins and the Hulk yeah and like the less we do the less we prioritize those things, you know, for you, the boundaries around work, it's, you know, having that place to go to where you can just be yourself. Mm. That, those are the things that widen the gap. And I think we've, I, uh, I remember talking a bit about self-care because it gets a bit of a bad rap and uh, I'm on, on a bit of a mission, I think, to kind of reframe the way that we see it. And I said, you know, what do you do for self-care? And people are like, I have a shower. <laughs> I, I, I drank a glass of water today. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, my husband would not step out of the shower and be like, mm-hmm, self-care, <laughs> tick that box or drink a glass of water. And I'm like, what are we? What's going on here? Yeah. Like, no, no wonder that gap between Mary Poppins and the Hulk is like paper thin mm. because these are acts of respect. These aren't this. That's not self-care. Like even prisoners get those things. Yeah. People on death row get hydration and the opportunity to be clean.
0: But, I mean, if we think back to those really early days of having a newborn, the idea of getting in the shower, you know, that is such a massive Uh thing. Like, how do I find that time? And, And now I look back to life with a newborn, just one, and go... Why couldn't I find that time? Yeah. Like, why, Where was I in my head that that felt like such a, a thing? But yeah, well, I remember actually you did something for Had Mum, Had Baby, the first virtual event and you were actually the first video to go live and you were talking about self-care in this way and I literally sat, watched that video and just cried just yeah. to be, have another adult tell you you've got to take time and how important it is to take that time. It's so important and I think we need what
3: we give so if I want to give patience and I want to give gentleness mm. and I want to give kindness, you can't give or it's very costly to give what you haven't got. Yeah. And so therefore I need that. And, I, and that's, you know, if we're going to mother, we need mothering. But
2: mm.
3: like there's a little less inside of us all the time that needs, needs to be heard and has needs that need to be met. And if I want to meet my kids' needs, I have to. I yeah. have to start meeting my own. Um, I remember this moment in lockdown and I was cooking dinner and that I could feel the Hulk like inside, ready to burst out. And I I messaged my husband who was upstairs in the conference call and I said, Taryn, we need to swap out. Like we need to swap out. I'm gonna blow. And he didn't get the message. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, I think I lasted 20 minutes and I stood at the hob and I scream I oh, know it wasn't a scream, it was like a roar. It was like this, ah, it was so physical. I was like bent, kind of bent over. And he ran downstairs and he had his laptop in his arm. (laughs) And he's going, "Um, guys, yeah, uh, I've got to go. And, you know, one of the kids had already been screaming. So that one was just screaming more. Another one came in and started crying. The other toddler was on the floor where she'd been for the last kind of, what felt like 10 years. (laughs) And, you know, it was just like, oh, my goodness, I need space.
0: Yeah.
3: You know all those needs that I think we put aside in the name of love like we're like no I'm going to give you everything mm-hmm. I'm going to meet all your needs. But we are people too we have equal value and we can't give what we haven't got. So after that moment you know where all this guilt and this shame pours in of like I'm not patient I'm I'm not strong enough I can't do this and actually we're not failing we've just met our limits yeah but like we have limits and we have to start respecting them mm. and you know my husband and I sat down that evening and we just thought like what can we do what can we do for me what do I need I need to get out each day on my own yeah. just a quick walk around the block nothing more than 15 minutes
0: uh-huh.
3: you know what can we do to widen that gap between Mary Poppins and the Hulk. And I've, I'm i very privileged to have a therapist. As a therapist, it's always good. And I remember saying to my therapist, it's like my parenting and the way I love my children depends on me going for a walk each day. Yeah. And she was like, you know what, Anna, because
0: it does. Yeah. Because it does. I used to say about running, and I haven't run for a long time, and now I've got an ankle injury, it's oh. not going to happen anytime soon. But I used to say about that, that those pressures and everything that I felt before going out they were still there when I came back, but they just sat a few inches higher and therefore they didn't feel so pressing. They didn't feel like the weight was on me of it. And therefore I was able to function better, be a better mom, be a better wife, be a better human to myself. And it's amazing how stepping out and allowing yourself that time, you know, how much extra sort of time it gives you in that way, just by giving yourself a little bit of love. Yeah. I think when I went into motherhood, I thought that, being a good mom
3: was basically giving everything Mm. away like giving all of myself to my child but my kids need me to be me yeah I need to have something left and I've learned you know especially over the last couple of years that it takes energy to laugh yeah (laughs) it takes energy to be able to rationalize anxious thoughts and energy to be able to have a good time and be present Because, you know, it takes energy to bat away all the other stuff that's demanding our attention. Mm. I think I used to see rest as a bit of a, like an indulgence. Yeah. I just feel guilty until I started realizing that actually it's an act of love. It enables me to love. Yeah. And I... Have you ever felt so tired that you're like, I just don't have a sense of humour? Yeah, don't, completely. I'm not, I've this not is got not my, funny. Yeah,
0: I've not got a personality right now, so no. don't try and channel it in. No. <laughs> it's not happening. But what was your childhood like? Like, what was life like with your parents? Because I also think that sometimes your own childhood sets up ideals, whether it's not being the best situation and you kind of, you want to repair that with your own family or whether you want to recreate what your parents set mm. for you. But I think the pressures are different now. So it kind of, yeah. you know. But what was your yeah. childhood like? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Herefordshire, like in a little village that had a post
3: box and it did actually have a pub. Everyone worked there. So I was working there, you know, (laughs) doing washing up and stuff. And it was, it was great. My friends went to our kind of school ball on the tractors. (laughs) That was life. But the biggest thing I think in my life was that we lost my sister. She died of cancer when she was six. And that was a long journey. So she was diagnosed when she was two. How old were you? I was 10 when she died. Right. I was 10. So it was a huge part of my childhood, Mm. you know, she was in remission for, so she had a, she had brain surgery when she was kind of two and a half. And then she, we were at Birmingham Children's Hospital. We literally, you know, sometimes we'd be staying there. Mm. We'd be out of school and, and, and staying in the accommodation there. And because of that trauma, my dad, it, to be honest, my, my, my wonderful dad, for him, it's like It's still it's like it happened yesterday. He's he's been stuck in that grief. And my mum, she has compensated almost for the fact that my dad has been stuck Mm. in this place of grief. So she's a doer. She does everything, 100 (laughs) miles an hour. She's helping everybody she's you know got stuff on every evening she's running groups she's helping run a charity she's a counsellor as well she used to be a physio at a children's hospice she's she's got it all going on every day and I think the message that I took from that was this is what love is
0: yeah
3: you do you do you do you give you give you give and yeah I guess that's where I learned that and also I wanted to be easy I wanted to be a neat untidy person I didn't want to cause any more stress as so my parents, you know, they were going through this grief and we were all going through this grief and I wanted to be, yeah, I wanted to be like a neat person that wasn't demanding and wasn't complicated and didn't get in trouble at school, didn't cause any, like any extra yeah. anything. Yeah. So, you know, this belief that to love well is to give yourself away and to be a good person is to, you know, just be easy and neat and tidy. And when I say that, I mean externally, and also internally yeah you know emotionally tidy and yeah and you know what I've spent and this is what my book know your worth is basically all about and doing is that often we look and we try so hard to be a better person when actually what we often need to do is just this kind of deconstructing of everything that we've learned about ourselves along the way that stops us being who we are yeah yeah living life to the fullest that we can do so a lot of it for me has been actually it's okay to be messy it's okay to be complicated it's okay to feel rageful sometimes mm. it's okay to find ways to address the guilt rather than use it to beat myself up so yes yeah, it's, it's uh you're absolutely right we learn these things in parenting it's not necessarily you know that our, our parents most parents always you know they want to do the best of their kids but yeah. life happens and life is complicated yeah so
0: yeah it's been a lot of undoing so when you started thinking about having your own family because yeah the, a few days was it a few days ago you posted about your wedding anniversary was it a few days ago was yeah it a long So time it, was, ago? it was yeah no it was very recent yeah ah and you were you were 23 and 24 when you got married yeah so how long yeah. after that were you like you know what let's go down the family route was that something that you talked about a lot before that anyway Yeah, I think we'd
3: always, yeah, we did talk about it. So we were together five years before we got married. And then we had kids five years later, we started having children. So yeah, it was always part of the plan, but I was doing my training and we still, you know, felt young. Yeah. Although at the time we felt ever so grown up <laughs> and ever so mature.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah the plan. there is that thing. I think you know, I can remember me and Tom moved in together at 21 and we moved into a family house. And I couldn't, like, you know, it was a family home rather than like a little flat. And, and I can remember feeling like we're in the house now. Let's crack on. And we didn't because Tom was sensible and, you know, <laughs> you know just paused it a bit. Um, and, yeah. But there is definitely yeah. that thing where you're like, we're there, we're going. So, yeah, I think when you are together a little bit younger, it, yeah, for us, it worked kind of taking our time with it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, can you remember what it felt like when you first found out you were pregnant?
3: Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I am someone that always has sought control over everything so I knew my cycle I think I'd researched it everything to the absolute hilt I became some kind of you know armchair expert on hormones <laughs> and I was very interested in all of that so I actually remember with my first two exactly when the implantation happened I felt the implantation pain really yeah so I remember thinking oh I can yeah I could feel it I remember sitting on the sofa whoa yeah and it yeah so it was really my first one was I was think straightforward I think so. I was quite I was sick but not not too sick. Yeah. It just that that just got worse each pregnancy. Oh really? Um, oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean I was kind of medicated and stuff and the second pregnancy I had my appendix out. Oh, didn't even <laughs> I didn't even know that you could when How you're pregnant. How pregnant but were then, you? I was like 12 weeks. Yeah, and very sick. But this is the thing I, I remember being so I was so sick I think I was being sick about 10 times a day and I had a friend that had really bad high premises, and she was being sick 30 times a day so I was like well that it's not that bad like I you know she's on she's got medication and stuff I'm you know I'm not going to complain and I remember um being in the hospital and they took all the drips out and I started being sick again they were like Anna how how often are you being sick and I was like oh no not not that many times it's kind of about you know 10 about 10-ish times 15 times they're like that's not okay (laughs) that's not ideal and it was yeah it was I think there's always been this desire just to I don't know just to keep things neat and tidy it's okay and not not complain it's fine it's fine but yeah I'm definitely you know my third pregnancy was like whoa come on sort this like this this isn't okay so are you sick even more in the third
0: pregnancy then yeah
3: yeah I was even sicker and it was just hard. And I think part of this is just that you can't rest yeah. when you've got two, two other young kids. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, but um, I, after my second one, it, it was a life-changing experience. Actually, Charlie, he had silent reflux and I'd never, I never knew what this was. I just thought it was all my fault. So he would scream and scream and scream all night. Some nights I'd honestly get 45 minutes sleep a night and it was utterly debilitating. And I think one of the most harmful things about it all was my kind of perfectionism and my desire just to kind of keep calm and carry yeah. on and not accept support. Cause to me, accepting support and being vulnerable, and I think what I was saying about my childhood, just wanting not to cause, not not to burden anyone, it was utterly debilitating. And I was so sleep deprived that I shouldn't have even been driving a car. And at times I found I just, it was almost impossible to function. And everybody was worried about me. Everybody around me, my friends, my family were so worried. And I was, you know, I was breastfeeding. And and I think anyone that's had a baby with silent reflux, it's a whole different experience. It mm. was really traumatic. And I was just turning to myself and thinking I was doing something wrong. I wasn't feeding right. Or, you know, I needed to try and get him to sleep like this or... And it just took me to the absolute end of myself. So was this the
0: first or second child? This was the second child. So at this point as well in the daytime, it's not like you can nap when the baby oh, no, naps because no. you've got and the my toddler. My first one
3: was still waking up every now and again because yeah. he wasn't he wasn't even two. And and I was just, I, behind closed doors, I would just cry, cry,
2: mm.
3: cry and ring up my husband on the kitchen floor and say, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I was so utterly tired. And he would say, let me take the baby for the night. And I'd say, no, you can't do that. It's my job it's my job. And it was all about this, you know, this thing of being a mom is that I have to do
0: it all. Not to be able to do anything was a failure of sorts. Do you think also with you, because your job is to listen to people and to care for people. Mm. And, you know, that is such a huge part of what you do that because that is your role at work, Mm. whether there was something inside you where where you kind of felt like I should be fine with this. I should be sailing (sighs) through this. Yeah,
3: I've got the tools. I've worked with people in the situation. I should be able to sort myself out. And you know, I think we we spend so much time encouraging each other, saying you've got this, you've got this. Mm. And I think some of the most life changing moments myself and those that I work with are those moments where you turn around and you say, well, you know what? I haven't. Yeah, I actually haven't. And all those people that care about you that have maybe been standing on the sidelines can then come in. Yeah.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: How were your, you've you've done it three times now, how were your births? (laughs) Were they all very, very different? They were, yeah. Well, they were and they weren't. I, I was so
3: incredibly lucky to have all three of them in a pool. Ooh. Yeah very lucky that was what i wanted and i was very lucky to have that um they were just really long labors I'm trying to remember they were they were like 40 odd hours with Florence and third children apparently known to be tricky
0: yes which is the worst thing to say so many people said to me said to me oh it's tricky (laughs) (laughs)
3: apparently fourth were a dream but I'm not willing to uh, to test that
2: (laughs) I (laughs) don't know that's what they say yeah the
3: midwife (laughs) I remember the midwife saying if you have another one it'll be much more predictable like "Mm, yeah (laughs) I don't think so that's not the plan um but Yeah, with Florence. I remember being in the hospital on the Tuesday night um, and they were monitoring me and they said, right, yeah, there's traffic, don't go home because you'll you'll have her tonight. Right. I didn't have her until the Sunday.
2: No! Yeah.
3: Oh, gosh. But so long, kind of long labours. And I had a doula the third time, which was a really new experience. And she was amazing because she basically held my hips together because we didn't realise France was back to back, so every time I had a contraction, I felt like I was being, you know, like oh, it was, yeah. it was my lower back. So she would just clamp my hips together, and Town be at the other end, kind of feeding me jelly babies, even though I'd end up throwing them back up again. He's like, "Why are you going to eat this? You're just going." I'm like, "Don't care. Give me the jelly baby." <laughs> and um, yeah, I loved the the pushing bit. For me, it was just like, oh, I just loved it. Really? Yeah. Have but you loved the quit. pushing bit of all of all three? Yeah. And it was always kind of less than 10 minutes, that bit. So it was fast and furious. And I remember them saying like, with Florence and it had been a long labour. And they said, you know, don't push now because you will tear. And I was like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I want her out. (laughs) But yeah, I was very lucky, I think, to have labours and births. Did you tear? It was straightforward. Yeah. 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 I think I had a second degree and grazes with two of them.
0: I had an episiotomy with the first, and then a tear, and then a graze. And I've got to say, tearing is much kinder than um, oh, actually being yeah. snipped. Oh gosh! Yeah. What What a process. I know, and but also that's part of the aftermath of it, you know, and having people yeah. over, and I can remember so many times going to make someone a cup of tea, and all of a sudden something catching, and kind of being like, oh. oh. Oh, you know, all oh, that, but you try not to... Because you can't kind of mm. say to your dad, Dad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Make your own company." You know where the mugs are. That's terrible you know what, what you should say, but you can't say oh, to people, sorry, I just something down there just caught as I walked. And oh, oh, it's oh, not nice. <laughs> oh. I remember with Oscar,
3: you know, my first baby, I came home from the hospital, and the next morning I was in Sainsbury's. Why? Why? Uh, because, gee, that's just what I was like. You could have literally held me in the house and I would have said, no, I'm putting on my makeup, I'm dressed, I'm going out, I'm going to the shops. And I remember waddling around saying, Taryn, I've got to go and sit in the car. I feel like my insides are falling out. Yeah. But this is, you know, this is this is where I was at. This is where I was at. And and it would have been, you know, I think the difference between my first and my third, thanks to my middle one and the depth that that took me to be like, you know what? I need people yeah. in my life. I need to lean on other people. The difference is that, you know, I was up and out and in the shops the day after having my first baby. And after Florence, on the sofa, no makeup, boobs out, like <laughs> father in law awkward. You know, whatever. <laughs> like I was just so much more slow, I guess, mm. as much as I could be with two other kids, but just respectful of my my place in all of that. Yeah. And I think the difference to me is like after Charlie, it would have been like, Don't come over, I'm a mess. And then with Florence, you know, I tried so much more to be like, come over, I'm a mess, come over.
0: You know, <laughs> and it's so, like a complete difference. That's so different, but so important. Yeah. Because We're I can remember fearful. when people came over after having my first, feeling, if I wasn't Superwoman, feeling quite embarrassed about it, knowing the emotion was there lurking but kind mm. of not wanting to show it at all. Um, that Obviously, when my siblings were over, there were moments where I'd just literally go, went, and it was always, always ever so yeah. stupid. I think one of my aunts had been over. I'd been having like um, like uh, like a deli platter, which I'd been really looking forward to with a newborn. And uh, as she came in, she was like, "Nope, shouldn't be eating tomatoes. Not sun-dried tomatoes, not good for you. Good, good for oh. your milk. And I was like, what what so as soon as she left and my siblings were there that was a thing that tipped me Aww. over the edge and I was like ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the
3: straw isn't it the straw that breaks the camel's back and I think so often we're like oh my gosh why was I so ridiculous and crying over you know the sun dried tomatoes and it's yeah. actually often we do not see or we do not take note of all of those other things that are building up mm. so it's called in therapy we call it displacement so one little thing happens and then all of that emotion that's just been kind of just being held you know behind the dam it just kind of that's the thing that it just comes out and it feels really out of proportion then we can really shame ourselves being so ridiculous but it was never really about the sun-dried tomato. that one sun-dried tomato (laughs) it's about probably the massive life change you've just been through (laughs) and the fact that you're exhausted
0: and you know, but it's funny, isn't it? Those little things that you do in the moment that suddenly seem absolutely massive that make you feel like the worst parent ever. Mm. Like, I can remember in lockdown, the kids were arguing over a stick that they'd found on the walk. And our old house, we used to back onto fields. So, I took this stick off of them that they were fighting over, I broke it in two, and I chucked it over the fence. <laughs> 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 Which for me was like, problem solved, it's gone, deal with it, you know. That and then yeah. obviously, World War Three erupted of course, because of course how dare mummy do that but in the breaking of it I had that instant moment of yes it's got you know but then also that sudden like what on earth have you done you know you could have handled this much much better you didn't need to break the stick oh, you didn't, didn't need to throw it over the fence
3: the little the little Hulk reared its head in that moment yeah. I, I think that's it and we, we are you know just because we're mums in any other situation I think if I was in in a job and someone would just constantly kept shouting at me or like being mean to me or demanding from me. I'd be like, right, see you later. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm out of here. You don't talk to me like that. (laughs) Have you and Taryn always had a very free conversation when it comes to mental health or is that something that you've kind Mm. of got better at talking about? Because I think sometimes it can feel like one thing addressing to yourself that things are off kilter, that things need to be rebalanced. But it's another thing to say to someone else, I feel like this.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's hard. And it, yeah. can, it is hard. No, it's not been something that's always been there. It's not been, it's not something that has come naturally. It's come out of a necessity Yeah. for sure of, you know, I might know what needs to be done, but historically I will find every way in my power to meet that need myself. Mm. I remember with Charlie and his reflux, for, I think, months, Taryn slept upstairs in a room. It didn't even have a door, so he was probably very, uh, very <laughs> well. disturbed in his sleep. <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't let him come in at night because I had this baby. And I was like, I would sit there crying. I would sit there at the end of myself. And I remember, you know, he'd say, let me come in. Let me just be there with you. And I'd say, no, no, I didn't. You know, no, don't. You need to sleep. Go to work. Don't worry about that. I'll sort it out. It's my load to carry. And I remember, you know, in that, that time of actually haven't got this, it was a night where I said, I went up to him and I said, you need to come, I need you, I need you to be with me. And that was a real turning point in our relationship and it's vulnerability and,
0: yeah.
3: and it deepens relationships, you know, with friends and especially, you know, it's, it can be very hard when you take that step to be vulnerable and someone doesn't necessarily understand or, or
0: respond in a way that you hope. But often, you know, what it does is it deepens that relationship. It's funny, isn't it? How we have those sort of slogans of "It's okay not to be okay." You've got this. Um, you know, you're yeah. enough. Well, actually, they're there to empower, but in another way, they yeah. cause a little bit of disservice, and yeah. actually, it can actually be a hindrance actually to what's going on because yeah. it's kind of like putting a little flimsy plaster over something or over a massive yeah. crack, and at some yeah. point, that's still going to crack further yeah because how much stuff can
3: we got like yeah. I've got this I've got this I've got this I've got this there has got to be a point where I just can't got anything else anymore and I'm got out and, and I think you know and I, I wrote about this once actually in a post and it was saying you know what those are the defining moments where you're like oh you know what?
0: I haven't mm. I haven't got this I need people we can't give what we haven't got yeah Another thing that you've been talking a lot about lately is accepting acceptance of situations, which I think... So you, you, uh, I'm going to ask you to tell the cream egg thing in a second. But oh, there's gosh. this thing where certain situations <laughs> arise, and it is your perfectionism that, that you're kind yeah. of dismantling, and you kind of get that feeling of... And I don't know whether it's the kid within you that makes you think, oh, when I was a kid, I couldn't do this, or, you know, I don't know if there's that little child within you that does something that makes the mum sweats come, that makes everything feel really overwhelming and that you can't cope with it. But something that you've been working on is accepting what happens.
3: Yeah, something happens. And then it's not only... Having to deal with what's happened, it's all the emotion that comes on, like the embarrassment or the guilt or the like self criticism. Like, how could you do that? How could you be so stupid? What's everyone thinking of you? You're reading into people's faces as they're walking (laughs) past, imagining what they're thinking. And I think so much it's all of that that makes it 10 times harder. Yeah. So the (laughs) Cabaret, the cream egg. What happened? (laughs) Oh, gosh. So yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I was in the post office and um, they're quite stern in the post office they've got serious try and get a smile out them (laughs) sometimes I manage um but Florence she was being a toddler and she found the cream eggs and they were just like this tray balanced on this kind of rack thing and she leant up and she pulled it and no word of a lie a wholesale job lot of cream eggs were bouncing (laughs) around this small post office they were going under units they were like rolling around people's feet and the, the people working there, they just kind of glanced at me. And I was like, oh, gosh. So I was on my hands and knees kind of collecting these cream eggs together. And this bloke that had just stepped in, he was giggling and I was giggling and he was picking them up. And I was going, oh, thank you. Thank you. And we put them all back in. I think there are probably still some in <laughs> the dust somewhere. <laughs> They'll be found in a few years. And I think, you know not long ago, I would have found that utterly mortifying. Mm. I would have been like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I would have been like, Oh my gosh, like you should have been like holding her or you should have got the buggy or like it would have been this criticism and this like, Oh, they must think that I'm this or they must think I'm, and it, and actually, you know, I just saw it for what it was. I accepted it for what it was. My toddler pulled over the cream eggs. I found it quite funny. I could find <laughs> it funny because I wasn't criticizing myself or fearing what people were thinking. I mean, didn't look at them too much.
0: <laughs> um, how's your relationship with Taryn changed over the years? Because I always find this really interesting to look at because me and Tom met really, really young. Yeah. We are really young as well. And, um, you know, oh. if I think about the notes that we used to write each other, everything was oh, about each I other. I found some the other day. Did oh you? Oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah,
3: you're right. Like the notes and the letters and... Do you know what? I Utterly, I felt... Like, I had struck gold. I was waiting for him to realise that I wasn't good enough for him. Aww. But honestly, I thought he was the best thing. I still do. I just think, yeah, I just kind of, I idolised him. I couldn't believe my luck. Really? Yeah. And then I think over over the years, as I've gone on this journey of kind of just working on my worth and I, I started to realise, actually, I do deserve him and and we're more equal. So in my, in my mind, like he was like number one and I was, you know, kind of like, what what are you doing with me? And now I'm like, well, we're we're the same. Like, yeah, but it's mean that I found my voice more. So I remember, you know, I've got my nose pierced now and I've got, I got a tattoo on my wrist a couple of years ago. And I remember I wanted to do those things for years and I'd kind of ask him, <laughs> can I do this? You know, it meant everything to me that he approved of everything that I did. Yeah. And he'd be like, mm, I'm not sure. I don't think so. So I didn't do it for years and years. And then you know, it was such a sign of change when I said to me, you No, know I'm going to get my nose pierced. He's like, Oh, I'm like, I really want to. I'm going to do it. And it was just that actually, I found my voice in our relationship, and it wasn't all about just wanting to be everything mm. for him.
0: Yeah, it was actually I, I'm, I'm an equal part, which is a change within and, itself, isn't it? Rather yeah. than being agreeable oh gosh, all yeah. the time, actually, kind of going this is what I want this is what yeah. I need this is what I would like yeah so it's been a, it's been a transition because I really I've really found my voice and how was and it's parenting? not like he ever stopped me
3: yeah but it's you... not like he ever stopped me it's just that I you know I amplified his and I wanted to yeah so parenting yeah
0: <laughs> how has that changed things <laughs> because yeah. well, again you know so that would completely change your focus your how you can function as a couple yeah. You know, it changes everything. Like me, if me and Gosh. Tom say goodnight at the end of the night, you know, that's the least we'll do. We'll say goodnight, have a peck. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes yeah. oh. when you're, when you can feel like a little bit ships that are passing because your attention is so much on those kids, especially when yeah. it is manic and chaotic and, you know.
3: Yeah, and I think being someone that just completely gave myself away to every aspect of motherhood for so long, I had nothing, there wasn't anything left. And I remember one of the big light bulb moments for me was that I've always been a really affectionate person. I grew up in a household where massages were currency. Like if you wanted someone (laughs) to do something for you, you'd be like, I'll give you a quick five minutes. You know, my mom's a physio. And um, so I've always been incredibly affectionate. I remember having a baby and then like suddenly wanting to sit at the other end of the sofa.
0: Yeah. Like, or just
3: not wanting to kind of cuddle in bed. Don't, and you don't like thinking, want
0: another person touching yeah, you. Well, yeah, well, I didn't really realise
3: that. I was just like, what's wrong with me? Like, and, you know, he was probably a bit like, oh, you're not as affectionate anymore. And, mm. you know, I kind of was worried about that. And then, yeah, it was that touched out thing and learning about, I've got a baby on me all day. Yeah, And actually that's just a transition. It's just a shift. And I think a lot of the challenges have come when we've just read between the lines and not had that conversation mm. so he might have thought well she doesn't fancy me anymore she didn't find me attractive she, she just doesn't want to be near me and I might have thought well what's going on like I'm what's what's happening to me is there something why, why is this changing and is there something wrong with our relationship but I think it's it's then having those conversations and realizing for yourself that that need to have that you know that intimacy is is met like it's met (laughs) to the top of my you know my my cup is full yeah and I think yeah a lot of the challenges have come when we've just filled in the gaps with what we think Mm -hmm. and not actually spoken about it but then it's making a time to talk (laughs) and that's a discipline isn't it? Because we can assume that that comes on the sofa in
0: the evening. Actually, sometimes when t- I'm not like practically yeah, nonverbal, verbal exactly. <laughs> All you want to do is just switch off and just focus yeah. on the screen. Focus. Let something wash over you. To so have to then engage to it just sometimes yeah. feels a little bit too much. So leaving it yeah. to that point in the day isn't always the most productive way of working. It no.
3: No, and he's he's much more of an evening person whereas I'm like really alive and awake in the morning and he kind of has to drag himself out of bed so he'll be you know I'll I'll be reading a book in bed and he'll say so um in a couple of weeks what are we going to do about this people come around what should we cook and I'm like oh my gosh like no, it makes me angry I'm like not now I can't like I'm done for the day and I think it's respecting each other like learning about when can you have those conversations yeah and trying to prioritize
0: them hmm.
3: yeah that's a hard thing hmm.
0: yeah if you could write a letter on motherhood yes who would it be to and what would you say right I've actually written a little oh, one have you yeah I like this uh-huh. like this prep Anna. <laughs> <clears throat> oh yeah I've written a
3: little one so I would write it to those mums that feel like throwing the pasture against the wall and I've written it down it's not very long I'll say it quickly You might question your sanity, but those moments of rage that feel like fire within your core, the ones you want to run out the door, throw the pasture against the wall or dig your nails into your hands with a relentless rage you don't recognise. Those moments the fire bubbles up and over like lava, you are not alone. These are thundercloud moments where your maternal drive to give of yourself, to protect, to nurture, collides with the unmet needs and unexpressed feelings you swallow down or push aside. Two clouds colliding in a rageful grey where lightning cracks unabandoned. Shame and guilt follow as you sweep the collateral damage and dry tears, yours, theirs. You'll try harder next time. These moments need compassion and tenderness, not guilt and shame. They need gentle questioning and action to meet the needs and feelings that have been pushed down in the pursuit of keeping calm and carrying on. Your feelings are not failure, but simple science. The more you give, the more you need the more you're lent on, the more you need to lean. You are not mad, precious mother. You are a human in a world that teaches us to override the complexity of our humanity. You are not mad. You are a mother who needs to be mothered by yourself and by others. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so passionate about this, you know. I just think so many of us just sit in our homes, race around just feeling like, we going mad or there's something wrong with us yeah. and we're just having a human response to a, a hard a hard situation or a hard day or yeah. being needed and not having the places to lean that we
0: need that we need yeah and also suddenly we're in a position where we're meant, meant to have all the answers and so yeah. often we don't have those we're learning on the job like you said about being the ceo you know it's kind of we're making it up and in that making it up we have to get it wrong we're going to get it wrong not that we have to it's just that is that is life that that's going to happen yeah and we can't be expected to get it right yeah the kids need to see that like
3: life will fail them life will disappoint them and if we can show them how we can overcome that and we can move through that and we can carry on regardless of that and in knowledge of that and in acceptance of that then what an incredible tool to give them as they face the world
0: Mm. i agree um, three sentences that I would like you to finish, if that's okay with you. Okay. Uh, being a mum means? Giving yourself away whilst finding yourself all over again. I love that you've written these down. You've done your work. I, I love it. am a good it. little student. <laughs> <laughs> Since having children, I? Was a people-pleasing perfectionist.
3: <laughs> Since having children, I've, I've written down, I'm on a journey of learning to respect my needs and feelings. And I'm happy when? I am happy when... I am
0: present with my kids and in nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's when kids are best, I always find, and I am best, is when we're outside. doesn't matter if it's cold, if it's hot, if we're in wellies or on flip-flops, just being outside and that little bit of freedom around us. I feel like, you know, seeing the sky, seeing a tree. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's there. Yeah. Anna, thank you so much. I think I've done well at not turning thank this into a you. therapy session. Oh, I I've loved it. I've loved it. It's like... been an honour. Thank you. No, I've loved ch- I've loved chatting with
3: you. Thank oh, you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you give out out and you put out there. Honestly, it helps me so much, and I know it helps so many. Oh, and you too. I mean, the number of times I climb into bed with one of your novels. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Happy Mum, Happy Baby is produced by Pixie Productions Limited and is part of the Acast Creator Network. Have you noticed... There's new pictures of me wearing some rather lovely hoodies and T-shirts. Yes, that's right. Happy mum, happy baby clothing is here. We launched today, so you might even be the first to see it. Hurrah! Now, I love me a quote. I love a T-shirt quote. So I wanted to bring some of those quotes that really show how we feel. So my favourite is flipping shattered. Because, yes, I am feeling flipping shattered the majority of the time. And my second favourite is the Grow Love Jumper in sizes for adults and mini-me's too. Hurrah!